The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? And what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and he will repay each one according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. How does Simon become Peter? How does this ordinary, sinful, limited man be transformed into someone through whom God will change the world? As we complete today this series Becoming Peter, looking at Peter's transformation in Matthew chapter 16, we, we end this series on a very difficult verse. See, as we look at this transformation of Simon into Peter, and remembering that this is not just a story about one man who is Simon becoming Peter, but this is our story. We are all very Simon-like And yet God, by his grace, is transforming each and every one of us by his spirit into Peter's through whom he will change this world. But here in this text, we come to verse 24 where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We all long for transformation. We, as Simons, long to be made into Peter's, but transformation, the way of transformation is the way of the cross. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German martyr, so famously wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him, or it may be a death like Luther's who had to leave the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time. Death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. How do we market that as a church? I mean, how do you communicate that to the world around us? Right? Jesus is being brutally honest here. He's not pulling any punches. He says the way of transformation is the way of the cross. How do we communicate? Can you imagine if the marketing strategies we see in the world around us with the various products and services we enjoy, if they were as brutally honest as Jesus is being here? Imagine what brutally honest marketing might look like, just as a few suggestions. Brutally honest marketing. Pepsi, when there's no Coke. WebMD, convince yourself you have a terminal illness. <laughs> Campbell's Soup, mm, MSG. <laughs> Netflix, 
spend more time searching than actually watching. And Nike, just buy it. But what about this? Christ Church Plano, your cross is waiting for you. See, this is the call of discipleship. This is the call of transformation. How can Peter say yes to this? I mean, his life is on the line. How can any of us say yes to this call? It can only happen if we hear Jesus' good news. He speaks here about what life really is. See, Jesus tells us in these short verses about life, and it's good news about life. You see, in verse 25 and 26, four different times, he uses that same word for life. He's talking all about life. Now, it's a little confusing in our English Bibles because the text switches back and forth. Verse 25 talks about life. Verse 26 talks about your soul, but it's the same word. It's the word psyche, which is where we get the word Psyche, it's itself, it's, it's us, it's life, it's our soul, it's our core existence, who we are. Jesus is telling us about life, and it's good news. Here's the good news that Jesus is telling us about life. The good news is that there is such a thing as a ruinous life. You can ruin your life. That's the beginning of the good news. You can ruin your life. There is a ruinous life. But not only is there a ruinous life, there is a royal life in contrast that he offers to us, a royal life. But the distance between this ruinous life and this royal life is, is, is a massive distance. And it can only be crossed if we accept a repentant life. That's what a cross means. So first, there's this ruinous life. This is where the good news begins. There is such a thing as a ruinous life. You can ruin your life. You can wreck your life. Look at verse 25. Jesus says, we're in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel, for whoever would save his life will lose it. And you gotta say, hold on a second. Isn't that backwards? That's totally backwards. Whoever would save his life will lose it. No, to save your life is the language of protecting your life, of defending your life, guarding your life, keeping your life. This is how life works. You've got to take care of your life. You've got to protect your life. And yet Jesus says that if we live like this, if we approach our life as something that we need to guard and protect and keep and strengthen and defend, we will ruin it. I was in a Starbucks a number of years ago in Ottawa, my former parish, and there's a young man sitting there with me who said to me, he said, Christianity is totally impractical. I live in the real world. And the only response I could find was to say, well, how's that going for you? And he said, it's awful. And I said, perhaps you'd consider this story, a story I just heard about a pilot who was flying in a, in a fighter jet at high speeds, high speed maneuvers. And this pilot at these high speed maneuvers worked the controls to make a steep ascent and end up crashing straight into the ground. Because for some reason, the pilot, through the instruments, didn't know that the plane was upside down. 
See, we live these high-speed, fast-paced lives. We're living them right now. But are we totally sure we know which way's up? This is the reality of what Jesus is turning on his hand. He's saying, you don't understand your life. It sounds counterintuitive, but if you spend your life keeping and controlling and protecting and defending your life, you're going to wreck your life. That young man in that coffee shop is a priest today. God can turn Simons into Peter's. See, Jesus is turning this world on its head and he does it with a warning. See, ultimately what he's saying is if you put saving your life, protecting your life as your number one priority, you will end up becoming distracted and you will compromise and you will justify your sin and your evil because you're doing your job. You're keeping your life. In verse 26, these words of warning, Jesus says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's psyche, life. What will a man gain if he forfeits forfeits his soul in the process of gaining the whole world? What will a man give for his soul? See, the warning ultimately is that there's a day coming, there's a judgment day coming when we are going to look back on our lives and there is an ability for us to honestly have completely missed the point, ruined our lives. As Dale Bruner says, Jesus is warning disciples of the eternal danger to their lives when they trim their loyalty to his teachings by moonlighting for this world's perks. At the last judgment, some of us will be dumbfounded to discover that what we thought was the innocent seeking of good and beautiful things for ourselves and for our children was actually whoring after alien gods and the use of religion to advance our status. Who of us can escape this indictment? But see, it's not just a future ruining of our lives, a judgment day. What Jesus is warning us is that this will ruin your life right now. If we spend our lives defending and protecting and keeping and strengthening our lives, we will ruin them. Because what it means is right now, I'm in the business of constantly defending myself. I'm in the business of constantly protecting myself. It means that I become an addict to anything that builds me up and I become allergic to anything that challenges or criticizes me. And I saw that most clearly when I was still working as a stage actor. You see, the worst thing for an actor is you come in before the performance And the production manager has stapled to the wall all the theater reviews from the previous day on the wall from the newspaper. And so you go by and you read all the reviews. And and here's the difficulty thing with reading reviews, when this mentality of protecting and defending and strengthening yourself is you read these reviews, and and I I could read for week after week, reviews, Donison was exquisite, beautiful performance, wonderfully poured out. And then one day, this actually happened. I walked in, multiple positive reviews. One review said Donison was rather stiff in performance. And so I, that night, limbered up. I got nice and loose 
And I started going into my scenes and working in a totally different direction. And man, that show took on a whole new vibe for me. It was a loose performance and an intermission. The production manager came up to me and said, what are you doing? You're completely changing everything you're supposed to be doing. And I said, well, you know, I'm just making sure I'm not too stiff. She said, you read the review. And I said, you put it on the wall. And she said, there are 500 people out there tonight and you are ruining this performance because you are still playing for one critic who saw the show yesterday. We are so busy defending and protecting and guarding and keeping our lives that we ruin them. But thanks be to God, that's only the half of the gospel is that there's a ruined life. You can ruin your life. That's the first half of the gospel. But the full gospel is not only can you ruin your life, but there is a different kind of life. It's a royal life. It's a gift that Jesus has promised us, a royal life. You see, verse 24, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him take, deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Come after me is the same language of come follow me. Follow me. Come after me. Twice in one verse, he's saying this is all about you following me. It's the language of discipleship. Jesus, in saying come follow me, is saying come and learn to live my life. That's what a disciple does. A disciple so wants to become his master, so wants to become like his teacher, to watch them and follow them and grow in every way so they can be like their master. That's why it's totally appropriate in that other story about Peter where Jesus is walking on the water and Peter says, hey, you know, Lord, command me to walk out to you. Peter is not being arrogant in that moment. Peter is desiring to be like his master. If the master does it, I want to do it too. I want to be just like him in every way. Jesus is saying, come live my life. If you go even into modern day parts of the Middle East, where you'll still find rabbis and their disciples, you'll see these schools of disciples following behind their rabbis, watching everything they do, trying to understand everything they're doing, to the point where I've heard stories, literally, of rabbis having to stop their little band of disciples at the door of the restroom, at the toilet, and say, no, you cannot follow me in here. Figure this out on your own. They so want to be like their master. And Jesus is inviting ordinary Simons like you and me to live his life. Come follow me. Learn from me. Let my life become your life. What's amazing, of course, is this whole story began with Jesus being proclaimed to be the Messiah. Remember back in verse 16? As the series began, Jesus says, Who do you say that I am? And Simon says, You are the Christ the son of the living God. And and that word Christ, that Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah, anointed one, means the king. In that moment, Peter is saying, you are the king, the, the king we've been waiting for, the truest king, the eternal king. You're the one who will rule. And isn't it amazing that this whole story ends 
in verse 28 with Jesus saying to his disciples, truly I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It begins with a king and ends with a proclamation that you're going to see him coming in his kingdom. And of course, you say, well, what does that mean? It sounds like that's the second coming, like Jesus returning. Is that what it means? Because clearly that generation of disciples did not live long enough to see his return. And yet people have argued over 2,000 years about what exactly Jesus is pointing to. What does it mean that you will see, some of you standing here will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, the power of the kingdom coming. Is it the next scene? What happens immediately following this scene in chapter 17 when Jesus goes up the mountain and is transfigured before them? And they see him with Moses and Elijah and he's glowing with glory. Is, is that the moment of seeing the king coming in his kingdom? Or is it possibly, others would say, the resurrection? When they see Jesus greeting them in the garden that morning raised from the dead, is that the king coming in his kingdom? Or others have said, is it the day of Pentecost? Is it as Jesus ascends into heaven, is seated on the throne and sends the Holy Spirit into the life of the church to actually help us move and breathe and become his people? Is that seeing the king coming in his kingdom? And the answer to those is yes. It's all of those. It's the transfiguration. It's the resurrection. It's Pentecost. It's all of it. And we will see it even more clearly when he returns in glory. The point is they have seen the king coming in his kingdom. They've seen that power brought to bear in their lives. They have become a new people. And do you see what this means? See, if the truth of this is that this different kind of life, there's a ruinous life and then there's this royal life, there's Jesus' life, he's the king. You might say, well, that's Jesus' life. He's the king. How does that make it a royal life for me? Well, listen to what Peter will write many years later. The same Peter will write in 1 Peter chapter 2, years later, describing what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, who called you out of that ruinous life into his marvelous lights. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not been shown mercy, now you have received mercy. See, what Peter understands is that it's not just that Jesus is the king, but that Jesus has brought about his kingdom and that we are his people. And not only are we his people, but if you can hear it, he's made us children of his father. We are siblings, follow me, of the king. Who are the siblings of the king? We are a royal household. Now, careful. I'm not suggesting that this should pomp us, puff us up and give us all that pomp and circumstance, right? That's not what royal life means. You've got to look at the king himself and see what does royalty mean for him. But here's what it means. 
It means status. It means security. Isn't it so different when you think of why we spend so much time trying to save our lives? Why is that happening? Why do we spend so much time trying to save our lives, protect our lives, guard our lives? It's because we know that they're insecure. We know that we have no security. If I don't take care of my life, who will? But do you hear the difference? If because of the death and resurrection of the Son of God, if he has made you and I children of his Father in heaven, if we are now co-heirs with Christ, as Romans 8 says, if we are siblings of the King, then all of a sudden, can there be a more secure status in the universe? Can you and I have any more security than to know that we are children of God, that we are co-heirs with the King? This is what a royal life means. We have access to the throne room of heaven, not to visit, but to live there. Do you see how opposite this is from that ruinous life? I'm trying to defend and protect and save my life. I'm ruining my life defending it because I'm sure I'm not secure. All of a sudden, hear the gospel. If you're in Christ, you are part of a royal household. Your status is secure. As Aslan says to the children, once a king or queen in Narnia, always a king or queen in Narnia. You're secure. I'm secure. So will you stop trying to save your life? Will you stop trying to protect and guard it? See, the path from a ruinous life to a royal life is a long distance. What's amazing, though, is that Peter seems to have made the journey. I love how in chapter 4 of Acts, which we just read a few moments ago, here is Peter, and he is standing before the council. This is the same council, by the way, that put Jesus to death. Okay, so he's facing down death. And they threaten him. And what does he do? Does he compromise? Does he find a sort of a halfway solution? No, Peter is not in the business of trying to protect and guard his life anymore. What does he say? Verse 19 of chapter four. He says, along with John, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak what we have seen and heard. This is a man who has learned to lose his life and in doing so gain it. He's not guarding his life anymore. He knows he's secure. He knows that he is living this royal life. You see, the problem is that this is not something that happens once in our lives, this transition from ruinous to royal. This happens every day. That's why we call it a repentant life. Right? This, this happens every day. Verse 25 goes on to say in uh, chapter 16 here of Matthew's gospel, verse 25 goes on to say, Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
losing our lives. See, what Jesus is laying out here is that this call to bear a cross, this call to take up a cross, is not just that if I am a disciple, I will have a missional cross to bear. In other words, the world will come at me with crosses, right? That happens. We pray for our brothers and sisters in northern Nigeria who are suffering under those crosses every day. But it's not just missional crosses we face. This cross is that even as a disciple, to become a disciple, there's a foundational cross that I have to bear every day. I have to bear this foundational cross that there's something wrong in me that needs to die so I can become a disciple. Every day, part of this ruinous life needs to die. That's what it means to take up our cross. I will die as I become a disciple. As C.S. Lewis famously wrote, he said, fallen man is not simply an imperfect creature who needs improvements. He is a rebel who must lay down his arms. Laying down your arms, surrendering, means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will that we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. This is taking up our cross. This is repentance turning around. And I like how Luke, in his version of the story, adds the word daily. In Luke's version, it says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. See, this act of repentance, this act of taking up our crosses happens each and every day. And this act of repentance itself is a gift of grace. Don't worry, Jesus will make it clear to you and me when we are living this ruinous life and will call us to repentance. The repentance is itself a gift. Turn around. You're falling back into that ruinous life. You started protecting yourself all over again. Stop, turn around. You've forgotten who you are. Isn't that why we come to church? We come to church because through the week, we live in the world and we continue to forget the gospel. And we come in broken and wounded and we hear the gospel again. You are ruinous, but you're royal if you're in Christ. So repent and live again the gospel. How does Simon become Peter? How do ordinary, limited, sinful Men and women become people who will change the world. It requires a cross. It requires daily repentance. It requires a completely different way we see our lives. We can ruin our lives, but the gospel is that Jesus will give us a new life, a royal life that is secure. But we're going to fall back again and again it is a life of repentance. One of my favorite Peter stories as we close this series, it's not even in the Bible. This is my favorite Peter story. It comes out of church tradition. There's, re there's references to it in the church fathers, but it's this amazing story. At the end of Peter's life, so the tradition goes. Peter finds out that he is about to be arrested and crucified in Rome. And so he flees the city. He's leaving Rome. And as he leaves the Rome, on this road out of Rome, who does he meet on the road but the risen Lord Jesus heading the other way on the same road? And as the tradition goes, Peter says to Jesus in Latin, Quo vadis, Domine? Where are you going, Lord? 
And Jesus says to him, I'm going to Rome to be crucified again. And Peter in that moment knows what this means. And he turns around, that's repentance, taking a U-turn. He turns around on the road and returns to Jerusalem. And he dies a death. And he dies a death. He requests that as he's crucified, he dies with a cross turned upside down. And people have speculated about, did he not want to bear the same cross? I'm not worthy to bear the same cross of Christ. I read the other day someone arguing that maybe Peter finally understand in that, understood in that crucifixion moment, this is now the world right side up. Jesus has turned it all on its head. See, what I love about this story is that this is our story. How many times in my day do I find myself walking on the road back to a ruinous life, protecting my life, guarding my life, because I do not believe I'm secure? And how many times a day do I meet the risen Lord on that pathway back to that ruinous life? And he says to me, where are you going? And in that moment, by grace to turn around, to repent and return again. We can ruin our lives. But because of what Christ has done, the truth is we are royal. We are secure. And so repent today. Simon's all. And let us become the Peters today that we've been called to. And don't worry, we'll be Simon tomorrow and we'll repent again and become Peter again. This is our life. And this is how the world is changed by the gospel. Whoever would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.